Let's take a moment in prayer before the message this morning. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word working in, on, and through us. Please convict, encourage, and uplift us all according to your will, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So during our series in Philippians, we've been covering a lot of different themes. We have covered the theme of thankfulness, of proclaiming Christ, standing firm together in the gospel, living in unity, having the mind of Christ, the humbleness of Jesus, and pressing on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And those are just a few. We've actually covered a lot more than that. I hope it has been an edifying sermon series here for you, one that convicts you, encourages you, lifts you up, brings you closer to the Lord, and thus full of joy. Now, you have to remember, it's been a while since we started this series, but Paul's been writing this in prison. Remember that? He's been writing in prison, and though he is physically confined, he is not defined or confined at all by his, in his faith or in his spirit. As a matter of fact, you could say Paul is one of the freest men you would ever meet, and it did not depend on his circumstances. And so from prison, he's writing this letter to the Philippians and thus to you and me about our sanctification, about our salvation, about being in Christ Jesus and his gospel, and thus in the Lord, and in joy. Paul is writing about joy during times of trouble. And you and I can have that joy. Last week I talked about Eric Little. Do you remember that? If you were here watching, with, worshiping with us last week, that when he ran, he would feel the pleasure of God when we are both resting in his grace and pressing on in our relationship with Christ Jesus. There is pleasure of God and the joy of the Lord, right? It's pretty simple, isn't it? That's been our focus these past six, now seven weeks. So our roadmap this morning is this, is that we are to agree in the Lord, rejoice in in the Lord and meditate upon the Lord. That's our roadmap. The three markers agree in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, and meditate upon the Lord. So let's begin with our text as we always do. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Signiki. You know, I pronounce these names all week and now I can't do it. Sintiki to agree in the Lord. It's always that pressure, right, of trying to get the names right. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, so the church in Philippi was made up of very strong, faithful Christians, but there was a lot of pressure from the culture, from the city of pagan worship, of worshiping Caesar as Lord, as God. 
So Paul has been writing this letter to them, right? To remind them to stand firm in the gospel. And that's what they've been doing, standing firm, advancing the gospel. At the same time, there is disagreement between brothers and sisters, in this case, sisters in Christ Jesus. And it was such a strong disagreement that it actually reached Paul, who was now in prison. So these two women, who are not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, are not just casual churchgoers. These are women who are very strong in their faith. And as Paul has been talking about, they have been standing side by side, laboring, struggling together for the sake of the gospel. And yet, and yet, there's some sort of disagreement with them. We don't know what the disagreement is, but it seemed to be disruptive not only between them, but between and causing some friction, so to speak, within the church itself. Now, we can infer that it was not uh, a matter of uh, doctrinal importance, because it, had it been, Paul would have weighed in on that. So it w- didn't rise to the level of heresy, anything like that, but there was some disagreement in the Lord. But you would think, you would think that brothers and sisters in Christ would always be of the same mind, wouldn't we? (laughs) Yeah, right. We aren't, though, are we? Well, and why is that? Why is that, that even if we're striving side by side for the sake of the gospel, there are still disagreements? Well, as we talked about last week, we're not perfect, are we? That yes, though we are saints who are saved by, by God in Christ Jesus, we're still sinners. And as sinners, we still fall short of the glory every day. And when we fall short of the glory, sin creeps in, and it could be a simple matter of pride, and that can cause conflict. I came across a couplet that I thought put this together pretty well. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. So Paul, as a pastor, is entreating, beseeching, pleading with them to agree in the Lord. Their disagreement is between themselves. He says, agree in the Lord. Set your minds on Christ Jesus. Now, this is something he's already done in the letter beforehand. So, if you take a look, if you go back to chapter 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 2 and 5, he talks about complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord uh, and of one mind, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's already written about this in the letter. He's saying, come together in the mind of Christ, in the Lord, to agree in the Lord, which is to agree in the mind of Christ. So what would it be like if you and I, when there is a disagreement with our brother and sister in Christ, and there will be, there will be, to think that there won't uh, is not realistic. What would it be like when we got together 
if we actually just take maybe 10, 15 minutes in prayer, not even talking about the disagreement, but just praying together and maybe studying Philippians chapter 2, meditating on those words, that really might bring us together. So he's saying there's a disagreement between two sisters in Christ, come together, agree in the Lord. He also reminds them that they are citizens of heaven. How does he do this? Because he talks about that their names, along with the other fellow workers, are written in the book of life. Now, this book of life is mentioned in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Um, Jesus says, he, re he refers to it, Luke chapter 10, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this is clarified in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. This should give you great comfort, because when God writes your name in the book of life, he doesn't write it in pencil with an eraser that he erases it out later on. Your name is written indelibly in the book of life. And thus we are secured not by what we have done, but by God's election and by what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and by his grace. He has both elected and justified us. And so we can rest in that remembering who we are and who has already paid the price for our salvation. See, when you have that in your forefront, rather than disagreement, do you know what you have? Rejoicing. You can actually rejoice in the Lord. So let's continue on here. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, I will say, rejoice. Here it is, it is not a suggestion, it's a command. It is a command to rejoice in the Lord. And the emphasis is on always. There's no loophole in here. That we are to always rejoice in the Lord, no matter the circumstances in your life. Your joy is not to be found, the foundation of your joy is not to be in the circumstances in your, of your life. The foundation of your joy is to be in the Lord. And when you focus on what the Lord has done, what the Lord is doing, what the Lord will do, you rejoice because you have an eternal perspective. Focusing on, the, on our eternal Lord gives us an eternal perspective, which allows for joy which allows for rejoicing. The problem is you and I have a very myopic, very focused uh, eyesight, focused attitude on what's happening right before us in the here and now. And we get so caught up in the conflicts and the difficulties of this life that we forget about the eternal perspective. When we have the eternal perspective... Do we still have circumstances in our life? Yeah. 
Do they sometimes give us joy or pain, these circumstances? Yes. But at the same time, the eternal perspective can give us that joy and rejoicing throughout our lives. Now, not many people have this. This is something I aspire to. Let me give you an example of a woman I came across who had that spirit of rejoicing and thankfulness. So I met her when we lived in St. Paul. Now, every year in, when we lived in St. Paul, I would put up a manger scene. And one year I built a bigger manger scene that was out closer to the, to the, to the street. We lived just on a, a small little street. And it wasn't fancy by any means, but it was the only manger scene on the entire block. And this woman came by one time, and I happened to be outside and probably shoveling snow at the time. Yeah, I know, middle (laughs) middle of summer talking of snow. But uh, she stopped and she really said, thank you. Thank you for that manger scene, for helping us to remember what this is all about. And I got to tell you, our manger scene was different than everything else on our block. As a matter of fact, our neighbor (laughs) across the street had so many things lit up. Big snowman, Santa, I think there might have been a Snoopy, everything else, reindeer. It was so bright that across the street in our living room, if the curtains were open, you could read a book. That's how bright it was. But our manger scene, as small as it was, stood in contrast to all of that. And this woman said, thank you for all of that. And I got to know her. She would drive by. She'd stop occasionally, just stop and say hi. And I would say, how are you? And you know what she said every single time? I'm thankful. Every single time, I'm thankful. Because what was present for her throughout all of this is what the Lord had done for her in Christ Jesus. That's the eternal perspective and that spirit of joy and thankfulness. Now, she is an example for me of what to live into because I, like every other human being, have feet of clay, and I can lose that perspective myself. So Paul, knows, knowing this is hard, he encourages us. He says this, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this word reasonableness can mean gentleness, kindness, considerateness, generosity, and so on. That's actually to be the Christian disposition, one of gentleness, kindness, consideration, reasonableness. And that is to be our disposition, not because we have greater moral superiority, not because we're trying to earn points with the Lord, simply because the Lord is at hand. This is a powerful phrase. The Lord is at hand. He is not some far-off God. 
He is a God who is with us all the time, in all circumstances. Jesus told his disciples that he would not leave them as orphans, nor would he leave us as orphans, but he would send the Holy Spirit to be with us throughout all things. And if God is with us, do we have anything to fear? And the answer is no, we don't, do we? So we need not be anxious. So let's talk about this for a moment, this word anxiety. It's something that happens to almost everybody at some point in their lives. And sometimes it can overwhelm us. Uh, I think I might have shared this before in another sermon. I, I believe I've shared it certainly in Bible study, but I know that not everybody has heard this. So I used to work in Minnesota at a pregnancy resource center. This was a center for women and men who chose the life of their child. And I was uh, a lead volunteer in a program called Father Focus. And we helped the men who came to understand what it means to be a man, a father, and if there were willing, a man of God. Because a lot of the people, not a lot of the men I saw were not necessarily Christians. So there was one time a 19-year-old man came in, and he was as nervous as you could be. I mean, it really looked like he was having a nervous breakdown. And he shared a little bit of his story. His bipolar girlfriend became pregnant. They wanted to keep the child, but they didn't know what to do. And he was, I, I mean, really, it looked like he was ready to have a nervous breakdown. Now, during this program, when I worked with the men, I would introduce scripture to them. Not on the first session, though. But on this time, I felt compelled to do so. And what we covered was our gospel reading that we had today. For Matthew chapter 6, I'm only going to read verse uh, 25 and then 33, 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's what we covered that night. He went home. I had no idea what would happen to him. I really didn't. But the next week he came back a changed man. There was no nervousness about him at all. He was confident. He was secure. The circumstances had not changed in his life. But he was a changed man. And the whole thing that changed him was the Holy Spirit working through the Word. 
And I believe it was this phrase, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, in dealing with anxiety, the key is not to to suppress your anxiety. Suppression of anxiety only leads to more anxiety. Don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, only leads to more anxiousness. And anxiety unchecked often leads to depression. And depression can be so dark that it can lead to suicide. So this is serious, serious things. It is grim. See, the focus of your anxiety must not only be displaced, but replaced. And it is by being replaced, by seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, again, his, his circumstances didn't change one iota. But he was not anxious anymore. There's more to that story. Perhaps I can tell it at another time. Paul knows that this is difficult, by the way. And uh, again, if you know anyone who is dealing with anxiety or depression, have them seek, give them the word, but have them seek out a brother or sister who is maturing Christ. And also seek out a counselor, a professional counselor, best yet to have a Christian counselor, but don't let that go unchecked. It is very serious. Paul, for us, he says this. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you are seeking peace, don't look within, because I don't know about you, but when I look within, I don't find a whole lot of peace. But when I look to the Lord and his word and his truth, his righteousness, there is peace. And we are to lift up everything in prayer, everything by prayer and supplication, which is simply asking the Lord which is asking, making our request known. And there is a promise of peace that is given. Jesus said to his disciples, John chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give, give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Look, cast every care upon the Lord, because he is near, he is not far off, the Lord is at hand. So agree in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, and now meditate upon the Lord. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. There is a truism that we have here, that what you fill your mind with is what you become, right? What you fill your mind with is what you become. So here's the question. What are people in our country filling their minds with today? It's not good stuff. If you are a news junkie, you are filling your mind with all of the hate and bitterness and anger and animosity that we have. The violence that we have in our culture today. And I'm not even talking about the riots, the protests. You can actually read about, but not only read about, you can see and hear because cell phones are so ubiquitous nowadays, of violence happening just in retail stores where somebody just broke the leg of a woman with a cane because there was a disagreement about masks. I mean, it's gotten to the point that fast food restaurants are teaching their entry-level employees how to deal with and de-escalate violence. Is that what you sign up for when you work at McDonald's or other places like that? I mean, the level of violence is so great in our country right now, it is crushing. And when we look to our political leaders, it's just as bad, isn't it? And I'm talking about any side of the aisle you want. It's bad right now. And so are we surprised when people are filling their minds and they're eating of this constantly, that there's more violence, that there's more anger, despair, bitterness? By the way, addiction is on the rise and so is suicide on the rise because people are filling themselves with this and without Christ Jesus, without the good news, there's no hope. So if you want joy during times of trouble, take Paul's words to heart. He says to focus on whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now look, you and I could actually do a word study, a whole sermon on each one of these words. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to take your Bible, take the concordance, look up these words, find them, how they're used within Scripture. Let's just take one, true. Starts out with what is true, right? And this is crucial for our time and age because truth has gone out the window. We need to focus on what is true. And it, I, I even hate to say it this way, but true truth. Is, what is that, an oxymoron, true truth? Look, if something's true, it is true for all people at all times, in all places, in all cultures. And where do we find what is true? We find it in God's Word, don't we? We find it in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that is either true for all people at all times in all cultures, or it's not. It can't be one or the other. I mean, it, it, it can't be both at the same time. Jesus said he is the truth. He also said to his disciples, 
if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Look, right, that's just one of these words. And if we focus then on even that word and meditate upon that word, it fills our mind with other things. We have honest and just, worthy, which means worthy of respect and right. There are many things that are not worthy of our attention, of filling our minds with them. It doesn't mean we ignore certain things that are going on in our culture, but we don't have to fill our minds with them. Same thing with all of these other words. Warren Wearsby wrote this, no Christian can afford to waste mind power on thoughts that tear him down or would that tear others down if these thoughts were shared. Again, pretty easy to talk about, and intellectually we know that. But what must we do with this? We can't just hear it and then ignore it. We need to meditate upon this. To meditate is to ponder, to work it through in our minds, and then put it into practice. That's what we have to do. When we put it into practice, we are renewed, we are transformed. We are filled with his joy. As Paul wrote in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, we're doing our Bible study in James, I think James nails it on the head and it's very applicable for what we've got here. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Look, if you just hear the word and then don't put it into practice, that's like watching an exercise video and then saying, ah, I've exercised. Doesn't work that way, does it? You actually have to do the exercise. In this case, you have to apply what the word says. And Paul says, what he has written, what you have seen, what you've heard, use him as an example. All right. We've covered our roadmap this morning. Agreeing in the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord. And then this last one here, meditate upon the Lord. Notice the last part of all of these is in the Lord. So, Let's put into practice what we've just been talking about. For you, this week, do you have a disagreement with a brother or sister in Christ? If so, together, seek the mind of Christ through Scripture and prayer, and then have your conversation. Do you lack joy and peace? Seek first the kingdom of God through Christ Jesus. What are you filling your minds with all week long? Perhaps this week. Try it. Fill your minds with whatever is true, honorable, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and worthy of praise. See how your attitude might change this week. And finally, how are you putting into practice God's word? Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are near to us through Christ Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit.
Help us fill our minds with you this week and every day so that we may have your peace and your joy and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 